listening to the Survival in Motion podcast. Learn, adapt, prepare, survive. Hello, everyone. This is author Cal Wilson. Welcome to another episode of the Survival in Motion podcast. On today's episode, I'm going to just barely get started in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general. And you might be saying, hey, what is this guy talking about? This is supposed to be a prepper podcast. This is not something that survivalists normally talk about. And I'd say, yeah, you're right. Normally, that is the case. But hear me out. True, this is not a normal survivalist topic. This is not talking about the end of the world, storing water or getting fish antibiotics or or, uh, canning food or whatever. We will discuss the end of the world at times. But the point of this podcast is to discuss the end of the world on down to a minor setback and everything in between and how you can prepare for it. So consider this in between. And it's always a good idea to save up for emergencies anyway, whether it's stocks or property. And I did discuss investing in property in my book, Dirt Cheap Valuable Survival Retreat. In fact, that was a subject of setting up a survival retreat. And if the end of the world doesn't come, well, then you've got an investment in property and that can be considered part of your savings portfolio. So stocks, property, everybody should always have just a little bit of their portfolio, say five to 8% in precious metals, you know, gold and silver that you can hold on to and you can put in your safe or safety deposit box or whatever. And by the way, before I leave that topic, I'm still a big fan of junk silver, which is dimes and quarters minted before 1964. They have a higher silver content. And in smaller denominations, you can actually use them. As I've written in my books, I think if, God forbid, the end of the world comes, then there will be barter centers set up all over. And Instead of bringing in big items to trade with somebody, I think that junk silver will be something you can use to buy and sell stuff if the end of the world does come. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But right now, what I'm talking about is your savings portfolio should have, say, 5 to 7%, 8%, give or take, of gold and silver, including one-ounce gold Krugerrand coins. And a roll of those is a beautiful sight, by the way. But the point of this 5 to 8%, give or take, is just a hedge against the inflation that typically hits the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar has had some pretty ugly inflations in the past. And now with all this new stimulus money and everything else sloshing around and the printing presses going overtime, I think we're kind of overdue for some inflation in the United States and that part of your portfolio is important to have, just mostly as a hedge against inflation. It's not like you're investing in gold and thinking, well, that's going to be my main growth part of my portfolio. No, this is the part of your portfolio that is just a hedge against inflation. What I'm saying is that it might be a good idea to consider taking out some of that small percent of your portfolio and putting it into Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. I love the fact that this is totally devoid of the United States government. It's totally decentralized and it's not the dollar. 
So that's what I like. Why should you save? And this is a, a subject that some of our younger people don't know. And I know we have some younger listeners to this podcast. Picture yourself out of the blue. One of the other of you, you or your spouse, gets diagnosed with some kind of major medical issue. And I've seen that before where they're scrambling. They're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought we had health insurance that would cover all this. Well, not really. What can we sell? Do we have any savings that will help my spouse get through the major medical treatment that he or she needs? I've seen that. It's pretty ugly to see somebody desperate for money. There are other reasons that you can't plan on. Somebody gets injured. Somebody gets sued. I mean, that happens too. Or you're thinking, wait a minute, this is a BS lawsuit. Why should I have to hire a lawyer to defend me? against a total lie. That happens too. So keep all that in mind that you need to save for bad times. And the savings involves, take your pick. Stocks, I'm not one for bonds, but bearer bonds, that's where you actually hold on to something that has value itself, hence the name bearer. Money market accounts, that's pretty low interest, but secure. Government bonds, which... I don't like it all. And then uh, gold and silver. And instead of that small percent of gold and silver, I think it's a good idea to put part of that into cryptocurrency and or Bitcoin. Now, at this point, I need to issue several disclaimers. This is not legal advice. I'm not an accountant. This is not accounting advice. I'm not a financial planner. This is not financial advice. I'm not an investment advisor. This is not investment advice. Do your own research. Do your own planning. Double check everything before you invest and never invest more than what will allow you to get a sound good night's sleep. (laughs) So keep all that in mind. As I was doing the outline on this, I wrote that I'll go even further than that and I'll just say I'm clueless on this stuff. I'm not quite clueless. I'm a little bit more educated than clueless on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. I'm starting to pick up some of this. I'm starting to understand it a little bit. You know, when I buy Bitcoin, I'm used to buying something and being able to hold it in my hands, you know, like a a stock certificate. I can hold that in my hands. I still don't know what that is. uh, (laughs) So don't ask me, but I'm almost clueless, not quite. So take all of my advice here with a huge grain of salt and do your own research. Make sure that you're careful with your investing. All right, that having been said, what is Bitcoin and what is cryptocurrency? And before I get into that, let me play this recording here. Check this out. Ini adalah contoh seseorang yang berbicara bahasa Indonesia. Seperti yang Anda lihat, kadang-kadang terdengar seperti seseorang mulai berbicara sedikit bahasa Inggris. Okay, you hear that? I've mentioned this uh, before. A few years ago, when I was in grad school, I spent the summer in Singapore. And in the law firm I worked in, one of the senior partners was from England, kind of a tall, fair-skinned English guy. And he spoke fluent Indonesian. And I heard him talk Indonesian to clients from Indonesia from time to time. And it occurred to me as I was listening to him that what he's saying every once in a while, there's a word or two that sound like English. But then 
I listened to the rest of the sentence, and clearly this is not English. So I played that just now. It's probably not the best recording. But the point is, online or on CNBC or wherever, whenever somebody says, okay, let me explain what cryptocurrency is, and let me explain what Bitcoin is, and then they start talking, and it reminds me of this senior partner at that law firm who was speaking Indonesian. I'm listening to it and I think, uh, there's a word that sounds kind of like English. Oh, and there's another word that sounds kind of like English. Oh, but then I listen to the rest of the sentence and I think, no, nah, false alarm. He's not speaking English. That's what it sounds like to me whenever somebody tries to explain cryptocurrency or Bitcoin. A few days ago, I saw a video of one of the biggest Bitcoin YouTube channels out there. He was on the coffee show getting interviewed. The interviewers asked him, what exactly is all this? And he started explaining it. And it occurred to me that I don't think the interviewee even really knew what he was talking about. But he was pumping out the big words there. <laughs> but it convinced me he didn't really know the answer to the question. But I think he was giving it a try at trying to convince people that he knew what he was talking about. It's just that he was not good at explaining it to other people. And of course, the two people interviewing him did not even have a follow-up question. They didn't say, all right, look, can you just speak English? I mean, there's a lot of people out there who give it a try, but they really make no sense at all in explaining what exactly this is. Time and time again, I've seen that. In the show notes, I'm going to have links to a couple of YouTube channels and one of them is actually uh, pretty knowledgeable on this stuff and can go maybe halfway to explaining it to a non-computer geek type person what all this is. Here's the only thing I can really say i really picking up on is called the blockchain. Picture six people on a conference call and person B gives $5 to person D and then everybody writes it down. You know, okay, that guy just gave $5 to that guy. That's kind of what I believe the blockchain is. And that's what all of these cryptocurrencies are somehow involved with. It's called the blockchain. And it's decentralized. There's no one person in charge. There's no one bank in charge where they can screw up every once in a while. It's just everybody. And this is called mining, I believe. <laughs> Could be wrong. But this is my understanding of what the blockchain is. How that translates into somebody buying a coin and calling it a Bitcoin, I have no idea. But that's kind of what I'm picking up. All of these have something to do with some blockchain somewhere. All right, the history of Bitcoin. There have been several attempts through the years of starting some kind of currency that the maker can just kind of print it out and say, okay, here, I'll sell this to you, you know, that kind of thing. Anytime you've gone to Chuck E. Cheese's with a little kid who wants to play all the games, you get tokens. And I remember um, a few years ago taking a kid to Chuck E. Cheese and getting some tokens and wondering, uh, what if I walk out of Chuck E. Cheese? Does this have any value on the open market? Well, apparently not, but <laughs> there have been a number of attempts to do just that. There's something called Crash, and there was something called B-Money before Bitcoin. 2008, 2009, somebody named Satoshi Nakamoto registered the domain bitcoin.org and wrote 
what's known as a white paper describing a store of value called Bitcoin and describing some software that would need to be done in order to have that work. Satoshi Nakamoto is a name that nobody has admitted to being that person. Now, this is not to be confused with Nakatomi, the name of the building in the movie Die Hard, which, as we all know, is a Christmas movie. No, this is a person or people known as Satoshi Nakamoto. And this person contributed to a number of online forums and chat rooms and so forth, never physically seen, but was heard from online a lot. And this person pretty much ducked out of existence right around 2011 and made one post somewhere on a forum saying, okay, I'm pretty much out of here. I'm done with this and has not been heard from since Satoshi Nakamoto. So who is this person? We don't know. It's apparently a pseudonym for at least one person or several people who were part of the original computer programming of Bitcoin in 08 and 09. There's a number of suspects who might be one of the people who make up Satoshi Nakamoto. There's a person, Dorian Nakamoto, who I believe changed his first name either to or from Satoshi. I don't know. It's kind of a tired-looking Japanese guy with bad hair, and he's denied that he's Satoshi Nakamoto. Another guy named Hal Finney, who lived only blocks away from Dorian Nakamoto back in the day in 2008-2009 in Temple City, which is part of L.A. So he might have been together with Dorian Nakamoto back in the day, and I don't know. But the thing is, uh, Hal Finney was deeply into computers, and he died of Lou Gehrig's disease in, I think, 2013, give or take. There's a couple of other prominent network computer-type people, and they're on the suspect list as well. They all deny it. And this is all kind of interesting water-cooler talk and a cocktail party talk. Who is Satoshi Nakamoto? Well, it reminds me of Watergate, you know, who was Deep Throat? I don't know. Could it be him? I, I doubt it. I don't know. He denies it. It's all kind of interesting. But the relevance is that whoever Satoshi Nakamoto is owns something like $60 billion in Bitcoin. And if that much Bitcoin is dumped on the market, it could really not only dent the current price, of Bitcoin, but it also it could be such a big slam on the market that it would it might make everybody think twice about all of cryptocurrency in general. So there's that issue. And by the way, the first known commercial transaction using Bitcoin occurred between a couple of programmers on some computer site, Laszlo Hayitz. He bought two Papa John's pizzas for ten thousand bitcoins. And obviously, this was back when Bitcoin was worth less than a penny each. So it was no big deal. But two pizzas were paid for by 10,000 Bitcoins. And Bitcoin right now is between fifty dollars and $60,000 a piece. So those are pretty expensive pizzas. And I hope whoever got the 10,000 Bitcoins held on to them. But that's the way it goes. With early days of acceptance, something is pretty worthless. And then... 10 years later, it's worth a lot of money. Okay, some notes on terminology. When you set up a 
stock brokerage account, that is known as a broker. Not so with the cryptocurrency account. That's known as an exchange. So when you set up something, and I'm going to name some names of exchanges later, but you're not setting up a brokerage account, you're setting up an exchange account. Also, in the stock world, when you set up a brokerage account, you buy stock and you tell the stockbroker, okay, you just hold on to it. That's not the stockbroker's office or anything. That's the stock brokerage company getting together with another company called a custodian. And the custodian will hold on to your stocks for you. That's not the terminology here. Here, it's a wallet. It's not a custodian. It's a wallet because a wallet holds on to currency. Well, yeah. And there are physical wallets out there that you can buy on Amazon. I've got a couple of notes to them. As I've seen the videos of how these things work, the question comes in my mind, how is this different from a thumb drive that I pay $5 for? Well, apparently a thumb drive you can't store Bitcoin in. These things you can. This is a physical wallet and it's not leather. It's not something you fold in half, put in your back pocket. It, it looks like a thumb drive, but apparently there's a whole lot more to it than that. And as far as wallets, you can set up a wallet account with a company online and that's all they do is cryptocurrency wallet. One example is BC Vault, but it's not a thumb drive. These cryptocurrency wallets you can buy and there are services out there. You can hire your own online wallet to hold all of your cryptocurrency. Here's another thing to keep in mind as opposed to stock investing where it's Monday through Friday sometime in the mornings and then it closes in the afternoon. It's not open on the weekends. This is 24-7. Cryptocurrencies you can buy or sell or transfer cryptocurrencies any time of the day or night or weekend or whatever. That's different from the stock market. Another thing that's different from the stock market is the stocks, you have to buy a share or multiple shares, but you can't buy fractions of shares. Not so here. In the cryptocurrency world, you can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin or a fraction of Ethereum or whatever. In fact, I've done that several times. So you're not stuck with the Bitcoin is $50,000 a piece, so I can't buy it. You know, you can buy a very small fraction of Bitcoin or whatever. That's not possible in the stock world, but it is possible in the cryptocurrency world. Okay, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the encouraging signs out there as far as acceptance of cryptocurrencies, but specifically Bitcoin. It was only a few years ago that 10,000 Bitcoins paid for to Papa John pizzas. Well, things have changed. And nowadays, it's becoming more and more common for people to say, I'm investing some in Bitcoin, other cryptocurrencies, that kind of thing. It's just much more acceptable now. And there are a few things that I'd like to point out as far as encouraging developments for cryptocurrencies. One of them was I heard the analogy made that investing in cryptocurrencies right now is kind of like investing in the internet in 1991. And sure, if you had invested in the right companies in 1991, then you'd be sitting way ahead right now, you know, Apple or Microsoft or something. But just keep in mind, in the early 90s, 
there were many stocks that came out of nowhere and ran up in price and people bought the stock share prices and then went down to zero. And in fact, I still have a stock certificate in my safe that I have not thrown away. I keep it there to remind me that this can always happen. In the early 90s, somebody can set up a company with kind of a weird name and then tack on the word microsystems after it and sign up with an investment bank and go public. And then the owner sells out all of his shares. And then the share price peaks and then comes back down and then goes down to zero. That's happened a lot in the internet. And I wouldn't be surprised if it happens here too. So, you know, that's another reason why you shouldn't put all of your nest egg into this. Just be careful. Do your research, that kind of thing. But I like that analogy. This is like investing in the internet in 1991. And remember, Back in 1991, if you had invested in the right stocks, then you'd be way ahead right now. If that's what we're about to go through, then this could be huge. A few months ago, Tesla started buying a bunch of Bitcoin for part of its cash reserves. And the filing that Tesla made with the SEC revealed it was like a billion and a half dollars. That's a huge amount. And Elon Musk, who's the head of Tesla, love him or hate him, you can't deny he's kind of the first in the crowd, you know, in, in a lot of things. And he's kind of a visionary. Like I said, he's not a perfect person, but that could be a trend. In other words, there are a lot of companies out there sitting on cash and the shareholders want to know what are you, the management, doing to maximize our return on that cash instead of just having it sit around. So I think that might be a new trend that is just now beginning, that corporations, instead of having cash sitting around in short-term demand notes that they pay very little, I think Fortune 500 companies are going to start putting a lot of their cash into Bitcoin. And I think that's a trend that has just begun. There are a couple of boring companies like Mass Mutual, which is an old insurance company, BNY Mellon, which is a very old, old bank, is putting part of its cash reserves into Bitcoin. Citibank just came out with a paper advising people to invest in cryptocurrencies. That's pretty shocking when you think about it. PayPal and Square are working things up so that not only will they put some of their cash into Bitcoin, but also you can buy and sell cryptocurrencies through PayPal pretty soon. Also, South Korea. A few days ago, the headline came out that there's more cryptocurrency buying and selling going on in South Korea than the stock market in South Korea. So that's a big deal. A lot of talking head loudmouths out there who have been skeptical about cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin are now changing their mind. Like Kevin O'Leary, if you've ever seen him on Shark Tank, he's pretty brutal when he does not like an investment opportunity presented to him. And now he's coming around and he's saying, yeah, I'm going to be investing in Bitcoin. A lot of hedge funds, including Guggenheim, it's all becoming accepted now to invest your spare money into Bitcoin. There's a guy, Michael Saylor, S-A-Y-L-O-R, who is the head of MicroStrategy. And his company put a lot of their cash into Bitcoin recently. But he was interviewed on CNN and he made a great point. He said, anyone in the world with a smartphone can buy Bitcoin. 
And he made the point that a lot of third world countries, you know, people spend their lives there working and trying to save and buying groceries or whatever. And the local currency has a problem with inflation. And a lot of times it's hyperinflation. So you work hard, you save up, and you have nothing to show for it because the money goes down in value. That's what inflation is. And he made the point that these people don't need to sit around and wait for their local currency to go down in value. They've got a phone. They can sign up for one of these exchanges and put their money into Bitcoin. When you're in a country where there's a whole lot of inflation, why not? You know, you might think, well, poor countries don't have a lot of smartphones. That's not true. My own experience. In 2010, I started joining this missionary group where we would go into really poor areas of Central America and dig freshwater wells because fresh, clean water is a big deal in poor countries in Central America. In 2010, I remember going there with this missionary group and we would bring our phones and take photos of the locals and and we would videotape ourselves with them and then we would show them, hey, look at this video I just took of you and me, you know, talking or whatever. And nobody at that time had a cell phone or especially a smartphone. Fast forward to 2017, I took the same trip to El Salvador and during the opening meeting with the local town, you know, we had a dedication ceremony. We had prayer for everybody. We told them why we were there. And a bunch of the locals pulled out their smartphones, their Apple iPhones, and started filming us. So keep that in mind. That was a really poor community in Central America. And there were a lot of smartphones videotaping me. And that was 2017. So if you can imagine anywhere in the world, where somebody has a smartphone that they can get on the internet and all it takes is word getting around. Hey, instead of keeping your money in our local currency, why don't you set up one of these accounts and then convert your local currency to Bitcoin? I think that's kind of a tidal wave right there. And what Michael Saylor said on that CNBC show was pretty interesting. So personally, I think Bitcoin has had some wild moves up and down through the years. But you cannot deny that, I mean, right now, this month, or at least spring of 2021, I think we could be going through a major inflection point where it's becoming acceptable to Fortune 500 companies to not only have their cash sitting in in the form of demand notes, which is essentially money market, but also put a portion of their sidelined cash into Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies. And now we've got investment loudmouths on CNBC, like Kevin O'Leary saying, hey, you know, I've changed my mind. I think right now we're going through this inflection point where Bitcoin, especially, but all cryptocurrencies used to be a joke or it used to be like, oh, come on, you know, give me a break. Now it's being taken very seriously. Whenever a company invests a billion dollars or more in something, you know that that's a serious thing. So we could be going through that inflection point right now. I mean, as we speak, I wanted to talk about some of my exchanges for what it's worth. And remember, I'm just a a little bit more knowledgeable than totally clueless. So This has been my experience. All I can tell you is my experience. 
as far as exchanges. Not all of them are created equal, of course. Coinbase is the main one. Pretty much everybody is signing up for Coinbase. And that's where they buy and sell their cryptocurrencies. The only thing I'm not crazy about Coinbase is the trading fees a little bit higher than I thought. You know, I'm used to buying and selling stocks for zero commission. And when I bought some Bitcoin on Coinbase, I can't remember what the percent was, but I actually paid a few dollars in commission, which I didn't like. But with Coinbase, you can set up an account and be buying and selling cryptocurrencies within probably half an hour. That was a very fast setup. I also like the charts on Bitcoin. They list maybe 50 different cryptocurrencies. And I think there's something to be said about just a nice, clean chart. You can look up the one-day chart, the one-week chart, the one-month chart. You can look up the one-year chart, see where this cryptocurrency has been trading for over the last year. And you can look up a all-time chart. The selection offered on Coinbase is actually pretty good. There's some cryptocurrencies they show that they do not trade in. And like I said, it's very fast to set up. But for any cryptocurrency, you can look up not only the chart, and then you scroll down and you see the stats, you know, the volume, the value, and how much it's traded, how popular this cryptocurrency is. And then there's a part where it tries to explain what this cryptocurrency is. And I look at that. And like I said, it sounded to me like that guy speaking Indonesian. But I like that. And then Further down, it shows a couple of news articles connected to that cryptocurrency. And then at some point, it shows you other cryptocurrencies that trade closely with the cryptocurrency you're looking up. So there's some good things about Coinbase, rapid setup. And I do like how it tries to educate you on the different types of cryptocurrencies that are offered out there. Coinbase will sell, I think, 30 or 40 of them. Not all cryptocurrencies you can buy in Coinbase, but at least there's an educational blurb on each one, even if Coinbase doesn't sell it. There's something called BlockFi is another cryptocurrency exchange. The selection is not too good with BlockFi, but the interest is paid on your holdings. So in other words, you buy some Bitcoin and Ethereum, for example, and you just leave it there every day. BlockFi will pay you a certain percent on each holding in your account. The interest rates are actually pretty good. The least I've seen is like three or four percent. And the most I've seen is a six to eight percent. You know, even if you buy something that goes nowhere, compare that to a savings account where you're getting at most one, one and a half percent. This is pretty good interest. And also BlockFi offers loans against your holdings. And I've heard that there's no credit check and there's very little paperwork at all for the loans against your holding. It's, it's been compared to a pawn shop where you bring in some item that has some value and they make you a loan against that item. It's, it's a pretty simple process, supposedly, to take out a loan against your BlockFi holdings. BlockFi also has a credit card coming out where... Whatever you spend, there's a certain percent that gets deposited into your BlockFi account in the form of cryptocurrency. In fact, I think it's Bitcoin. That's coming pretty soon. Also, if you open up a BlockFi account with the referral code I have in the notes below, you'll get 10 bucks and I will also get 10 bucks. 
which would be appreciated. I have not signed up for the affiliate program at BlockFi, but there is such a thing. So if you have, you know, a club or something and you want to be the expert in BlockFi, you can sign up for BlockFi and then also sign up to be an affiliate. And apparently there are a whole lot of goodies for the affiliate program if an affiliate of BlockFi gets other people to set up BlockFi accounts. So that's something to check out. Like I said, I have not signed up as an affiliate of BlockFi. Binance... .us is another exchange I have tried to set up. It's been three weeks now, and they are still looking over my paperwork to know your customer, KYC. And this is taking forever. On the other hand, I've heard that Binance has the best selection of cryptocurrencies that they sell. They even have their own homemade cryptocurrency, the Binance coin. So anyway, I'm looking forward to setting up my account with Binance, even though they have not allowed me to set it up yet. They're still checking out my various paperwork that, you know, bank accounts or whatever that I've sent to them. But it promises to be a great account whenever it sets up. All right. Crypto.com is another exchange account I've set up. It has decent charts, very good selection of cryptocurrencies that you can buy and sell. They also pay interest on your holdings and they have a debit card that you can use wherever Visa is accepted. And a certain percent, I believe it's 3% right now, of whatever you spend gets put back into your crypto.com account. And also there's a link in the show notes that if you set up an account with crypto.com, you and I will both get $25. Let me just say this about crypto.com. It took a while for me to set up that account. I think it was like two weeks or something. And at one point they emailed me when they were looking over everything, they said, they emailed me and said, have, have you been ever convicted of a crime beyond just a traffic thing? And have you ever been a party to a lawsuit? And I returned to the email. I said, no, I've never been convicted of a crime. And yes, I have been sued before. And I thought, are they going to turn me down because I've been sued? Anyway, crypto.com is kind of a stickler for KYC. Know your customer. And also, it took me a good two weeks to set up that account. Now, I guess I don't blame them, and same for Binance for taking forever. I think that's just the way it goes nowadays. Everybody is setting up accounts with these guys, trying to buy and sell cryptocurrencies. So that might be why it's taken so long. But Crypto.com took a while for me to set up my account there. My favorite one is Celsius. This is very fast to set up. When you go to Celsius, C-E-L-S-I-U-S, Celsius, when you set up your account there, you will probably be buying and selling cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin within half an hour. It's very fast set up. The selection is very good. The interest they pay on your holdings in their account is also very good. And they have loans against the holdings you have in your account there. Celsius was started by that guy, I can't remember the name who set up voice over IP. You know, he's been around the block as far as the internet. And this is a very easily worked with app. And by the way, it's an app only. At this point, they don't have a website. It's a Celsius app only on your phone. But it's the easiest to use. And it's very intuitive. It's my favorite exchange account is Celsius. And also, if you set up a new account at Celsius using the number in the show notes here, you and I both will get 
30 bucks. You need to set up your account with at least $200. And the $30 in your account has to stay there for at least 30 days. All right, I've got an honorable mention as far as a couple of other exchanges. I've heard good things about them. I have not set up accounts there. Nexo, N-E-X-O, and Aave, A-A-V-E, which is also a cryptocurrency that I own a little bit of, A-A-V-E. It's a company out of Finland. So honorable mention, Nexo and Aave. Before I leave the subject of Crypto.com, let me tell you, Crypto.com has zero commissions for the first 30 days. And that might be key if you've decided, okay, I don't want to buy and sell any of this stuff. I want to just put in, you know, 2% of my savings into Bitcoin and I'm just going to leave it there. This is going to be a single transaction or whatever. So crypto.com might be for you. You can buy that commission-free and just leave it there. And the commissions are zero for the first 30 days that you have that account. Here's another thing, though. I've discovered that Celsius has the highest interest paid on the cryptocurrency in your Celsius account. And interest paid on crypto, I mean, that's like the best of both worlds. So it's incredible. And before I forget, there was recently a football player who last year decided to get paid half in Bitcoin, and that was a year ago. So that guy, I think it was from Seattle, but he could probably retire right now on just his Bitcoin holdings. Of course, he they never do, but it's possible to get paid in Bitcoin. I think the city of Miami is actually taking property tax payments in the form of Bitcoin, and the, they're offering part salary of their employees in Bitcoin. The acceptance of Bitcoin is all around us, so it's something to keep in mind that this is all becoming pretty legitimate. I wanted to touch on another issue transferring between different accounts. And this has been kind of a side project of mine. Not only do I want to learn, obviously, how to transfer currencies back and forth between different accounts, but how many times have you seen a business that says, we take payment from all the credit cards, ACH, and we also take payment by Bitcoin? And of course, that makes that business a cool, hip, and trendy business. <laughs> I don't see too much demand for that in our business, but it's something I've always been kind of interested in. If somebody came to us and say, I'd like to pay you in Bitcoin, how do I do it? Until recently, my response would have been, I have no idea. In fact, I don't even know what Bitcoin is. <laughs> but So that's been kind of my side project to figure out how to get paid in Bitcoin and I think I've learned how to do it by just transferring between my different exchange accounts. Here's how you do it. A few nights ago, I bought a couple hundred dollars of Bitcoin through my account at crypto.com. And of course, that means zero commissions. And I went to my account at Celsius, which I believe pays the highest interest on whatever's in your wallet there. And I said to Celsius, what's the address for an incoming transfer of Bitcoin? And you have to specify it's Bitcoin, not Ethereum or, or whatever. So Celsius said, if you want to transfer some Bitcoin into your wallet here, here's the address. And it was a real long number, like 30 different numbers and letters and all that. So I selected all that and copied it. And then I went to crypto.com and said, I'd like to transfer out a bunch of Bitcoin. 
And Crypto.com said, okay, what is the address of the wallet you'd like to transfer it to? So I pasted that real long number that I got from Celsius. And then within just a few minutes, all that Bitcoin went from my account at Crypto.com to Celsius, where I know it will pay a higher interest rate. But it was also just a project to see if I can do this, you know. I've also heard that transferring cryptocurrencies back and forth, sometimes there's fees that make it more expensive and not worth it. So you have to kind of research who's going to charge what if you do this. But the point is, now I have an idea. If somebody comes to me and says, I'd like to hire you, but I would like to pay in Bitcoin. Now I know how to do it. And if you, dear listener, have a business of your own and you would like to accept payment by Bitcoin for whatever reason, I would do what I did. You know, just get a couple of accounts and kind of get some experience in how to do this. But then you can say, yes, I can get paid in Bitcoin, as well as the other, you know, all the credit cards, ACH, cash, whatever. And you can join the crowd of cool, hip and trendy businesses that accept payment in Bitcoin. Okay, I know it sounds like I'm joking when I say cool, hip and trendy businesses will accept Bitcoin. But seriously, that's kind of the way of the future of just currency in general is getting paid in Bitcoin. And the way I described it just now is kind of clunky and cumbersome. I'm sure it's going to be streamlined in the next several years, but that's what's going on right now. People are getting paid in Bitcoin like that football player. In fact, if he was smart, he would have set up an account in Celsius where they pay the most interest. So he had the football company transfer all of his money into his Celsius account where he actually got paid interest on his Bitcoin while it's sitting in there and still appreciating in value. But that's the way the future is paying and getting paid in Bitcoin. Investment approaches. I've got a friend from church who is a network engineer, and he probably understands all this stuff. And he could probably go toe-to-toe with those online or CNBC who really know this stuff. I don't. But a couple weeks ago, he texted me and bragged, yeah, I just made $300 on a quick trade with Litecoin. And I said, well, good for you, Mr. Smarty Pants, but I'm still paying tuition, meaning that the money I'm putting in on all this, I don't really plan on getting it back, although that would be nice. But the main thing I'm after right now is just knowledge and experience. So I'm not really buying and selling stuff to make profit right now. I'm just out to learn. So what I'm doing right now is just education as far as I'm concerned. But let me talk to you a little bit about some investment approaches. And keep in mind that a few minutes ago, I just admitted I'm not quite clueless on all this, but I'm pretty close to being clueless. So do your own research and take what I have to say with a pretty big grain of salt. The first is just a few years ago, somebody bought $5 in Bitcoin. In fact, it was 2011. They spent $5 investing in Bitcoin, and right now it's a little over a quarter million dollars. So that got me thinking that as much of this might seem like a joke to a lot of people, and a lot of people might say, I just don't understand it, or I can't get my hands around it, so therefore I'm going to leave it alone. It's got me thinking that if there's any kind of way to rationalize making money on any of these lesser-known cryptocurrencies, 
then why not? You know, why not just invest some money in it and leave it there for 10 years? You know, hopefully none of these exchanges will have dormant fees or whatever. Do your best just to ignore it for 10 years and look back and see if any of this had similar results of the $5 in Bitcoin in 2011, you know? That's one of my approaches I'm doing. I'm investing $50 here and there in these lesser-known cryptocurrencies, so long as it's got kind of a rationale, you know, so long as it's got something where I can say, oh, yeah, I can see that being important in maybe five to ten years, you know. That explains my investment in the graph and a couple of others where it's kind of small-time stuff right now, like Ave is another holding I have that I can kind of think it through and figure... Oh, yeah, I can see that as being a big deal in five to 10 years, you know? So that's why I'm buying other stuff. Polkadot is something that the more I hear about, the more promising it sounds like it is. Ethereum Cardano, one of the founders of Ethereum left and helped to form Cardano. And Cardano supposedly has a lot less of the problems that Ethereum has. What they are, I have no idea. So that's kind of why I've got a small investment in Cardano. But you get the picture. That's kind of one approach to investing is recalling that somebody bought $5 in Bitcoin in 2011. And here we are 10 years later, and that person is sitting on a quarter of a million dollars. So keep that in mind that any of these lesser known Bitcoins, it could happen with them too. Of course, it might not also, but (laughs) another approach is chart analysis. And there's a whole big deal out there. There are probably tons of podcasts and YouTube channels where they talk about chart analysis. So all I'm going to do is just barely touch on it here. If something is going straight up, you know, nothing goes straight up forever. So keep that in mind. It's a good idea to hold off and wait until something kind of comes back down and forms a little bit of a base there. And, and when something goes left to right for a week or two, you can kind of figure, well, people are kind of establishing a base for that there. And from then on, you know, it might go up. So that's what you can do. And again, there's a whole lot more to chart analysis than that. I think it's a good idea to stay away from something that's busily going straight up because it can always go straight back down and form a base. That's the base that you're looking for. Another investment approach is what I call the trades with approach. Let me back up. Coinbase is the exchange where it will kind of educate you on each little cryptocurrency. You look up something totally obscure. I don't know. There's something called Sushi Swap, for example, but whatever, whatever. You just look at that and then Coinbase will show you the latest charts on that. And then there will be some news articles. There will be some statistics. How many coins of this have been traded and what's the supply out there, blah, blah, blah. And then there's that section where it says trades with. Assuming that Bitcoin is not going to be as volatile, although that could be way off there. It's still at 50 whatever thousand per coin. And I know you can buy fractional coins, but something that is priced that high might not have that real oomph on the upside, you know? So if you go into Coinbase and you look up these other cryptocurrencies 
And some of them say trades closely with Bitcoin. And the one you're looking at is like 40 cents per coin. Well, look into it, you know. Instead of investing in something that's 50-something thousand dollars per coin and hoping it shoots straight up, why not look for something that trades with Bitcoin and it's only at 40 cents or a dollar 30 or whatever? That might be something that in the long run you might have more gains as opposed to investing in part of Bitcoin. That's just an approach there, the trades with approach that I've been doing. I thought I'd go into the list of my holdings and keep in mind that I'm still brand new at this and I'm paying tuition. Like I said, I'm practically clueless. So do your own research and don't just go out and say, well, he's invested in this. So I'm going to invest in this. So far, the last month or two, I've noticed that when the cryptocurrency market has a good day, then Bitcoin goes up the most. When the cryptocurrency market has a bad day, Bitcoin goes down lesser than others. So my main holding is still Bitcoin, but I've got a couple of others. And keep in mind my $5 in 2011 approach. I'm just kind of figuring, oh, that kind of makes sense. Maybe it'll be more valuable in five to 10 years, you know? So here they are. Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Polkadot, the graph, Chainlink, Uniswap, Aave, which is spelled A-A-V-E. Of course, Crypto.com's homemade crypto. I also have some Loop Ring, which sounded good, so I threw $50 at it. I'm not going to look at it again for another 10 years. You never know. And I also have some minor stuff. Anyway, here are some stocks that trade based on the cryptocurrency market. These are stocks that have a lot of exposure, mostly to Bitcoin, but some other cryptocurrencies as well. Like I mentioned earlier, Tesla, which has a lot of its spare cash in the form of Bitcoin. MicroStrategy, there's a company called Canaan, C-A-N-A-A-N. Ticker symbol is C-A-N. And also PayPal and Square are kind of cryptocurrency plays as well. There's always some movement afoot on getting some exchange-traded funds, ETFs, based on Bitcoin alone or Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. The one I found right now is the ticker is GBTC. So I think it's Greystone Bitcoin ETF. You can even invest indirectly in the cryptocurrency market through your stock brokerage account by looking at these stocks. There might be more. In fact, I'm sure there are going to be more to come. But I thought I'd mention those stocks that have some Bitcoin exposure. Okay, what about possible problems ahead, not only with Bitcoin, but with the cryptocurrency market in general? I thought I would talk about some of my own ideas about possible problems, besides the fact that you're listening to somebody who is very inexperienced with this and mostly clueless. All right, this whole market kind of has a Wild West feeling to it. And that might be a good thing, but in, in some sense, it might be a bad thing. There might be some people entering into this market selling cryptocurrencies who definitely want to scam. And that comparison to investing in the internet in the early 90s is a good one because there were some stocks back in the early 90s that were 
worthless to begin with. And, and they were sold on nothing but hype. And at some point they came up and they came back down and now they're at zero. And that could be going on in the cryptocurrency market right now. Another problem is that it's extremely volatile. I could see somebody investing in $10,000 in Bitcoin just last week and it goes up above 60 and you think, all right, baby, I'm riding high. And then now it's at 53 or whatever. (laughs) Don't invest so much that it means the difference between just having a really good day and, and not sleeping at all. So it's extremely volatile. Even the most relatively secure one, which is Bitcoin, is extremely volatile. Also, whenever you set up a financial account, I mean, not only cryptocurrency, but everywhere, there's always the possibility that every new account you set up just increases the chances of some hacker getting in. In this case, they could actually steal something of value, you know, which is a cryptocurrency, but also a data breach. That means that they can get at your name, date of birth, social security number, all your phone numbers and everything, address. Data breach is a possible problem, not just with cryptocurrency exchange accounts, but everywhere. Also, I've always kind of wondered, the more I'm looking at this, a lot of what I'm having described to me might not be so much a currency as it might be more of a security. And you never know if the SEC might get involved and say, hey, that's not a currency at all. That's not a cryptocurrency. That's really a security which means that we, the SEC, should be regulating that. And anybody who's been promoting that is now officially in trouble. And we're going to shut down that particular cryptocurrency. That could happen. You know, anybody who has come in the crosshairs of the SEC immediately ages, you know. (laughs) It seems like anybody who's the head of a company that decides to go public and has to start dealing with the SEC that person you can watch, they will noticeably age right in front of you. <laughs> but not only that, but if the SEC comes in and says, all right, this cryptocurrency number XYZ, that cryptocurrency is not so much a currency at all. It's a security. And we're going to shut it down until it starts registering with the SEC. That could mean that if you're investing in that lesser known cryptocurrency, then guess what? Your investment could go down to zero. One last bad thing I wanted to mention is the whole cryptocurrency market is attracting a lot of dollars that could be instead investing in long-term U.S. government bonds. And it's the long bond that pays for the deficit. And if fewer people are spending their money investing in the long-term government bond, then that means that the government has to offer a higher interest rate for that government bond in order for people to decide, I think I'll buy that instead of that cryptocurrency. So in other words, as more and more money in the United States goes towards cryptocurrency and less towards savings account or other indirect investments in the government bond, then government bonds are going to have to start offering higher interest rate so that you'll buy them. And that means that Interest rates in general will go up, which means in turn that the economy will slow down. That's how it works. So I'm putting on my tinfoil hat here right now. That might make the U.S. government mad at the cryptocurrency market. And I'm being totally paranoid here, but I don't put anything beyond 
the U.S. government. I really don't. Could the government, I don't know, six some hackers at the cryptocurrencies out there? I don't know. Would there be something that the government would try to do underhanded to really put a dent in the whole cryptocurrency market? I don't put anything beyond the, the United States government. I just don't. I'm not the type to immediately believe in conspiracy theories, but I am all ears. If someone has one for me and they want to make the case to me, I'll believe it if you can make the case. And going forward, if more of Americans' free dollars go towards the cryptocurrency market instead of indirectly going into the government bonds market, I wouldn't be surprised if the U.S. government did something to cryptocurrencies. There are a number of problems that could develop ahead for the whole cryptocurrency market. And just keep all that in mind when you invest. That's all the more reason why you should not invest everything in your nest egg. You should at most invest a small percent of your nest egg into cryptocurrencies. Okay, here are some YouTube channels that I have been watching a lot of, and I think these might help educate you on cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. So here's the list. Coin Bureau, Altcoin Daily, Altcoin is one word, Andre Jick, and I'll spell that, Andre, A-N-D-R-E-I, last name is Jick, J-I-K-H. This guy is not so much a cryptocurrency channel. I think it's just kind of financial advice in general, but he's a former magician. <laughs> and he's also funny, which I appreciate. In fact, that's what I try to do with some of these podcast episodes. You know, try to throw in a joke here and there. It helps. Here's another one. DAP, D-A-P-P, University. And this is the guy who might really know all, all this stuff. If you ask him, what is cryptocurrency? What is Bitcoin? He might be able to explain it to you in such a way that proves to you that he knows what it is, but it might not explain to you what it is, but it might explain to you that he knows what it is. DAP University. All right, here's another one. MM Crypto. So it's one word, double M Crypto. The last one is 99 Bitcoins. I think 99 Bitcoins is really good for a quick two to three minute explanation of something. 99 Bitcoins. It's one word, 99 Bitcoins. So we could be at an inflection point right now in worldwide acceptance of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. So this is a major, major issue that we all need to think about. This could be a future fork in the road, turning off in one direction as far as worldwide currencies. And it's something that we need to be aware of, even if you're not investing in it. It's something to think of and educate yourself of. This could be huge, but do your homework and be aware of the possible problems and costs and risks. Every wallet out there has a risk of being hacked or some of these physical wallets that you can buy, they can be stolen and you might be out your Bitcoin. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Survival in Motion podcast, and I hope that you found it informative and educational. I hear the music. That means our time is up. Thanks for joining me. God bless. <laughs>